Good morning, St. Paul's. Um, my name is Ellie. I'm the community pastor here. Um, if I've not met you yet, please say hello after the service. Um, it's very strange. I started back in March, and it's quite funny, sort of four or five months on, still meeting people for the first time without a mask and going, that's what you look like. That's so always beautiful, always lovely, obviously. Um, we are in a new summer sermon series not very easy to say, at St. Paul's. And if you're joining us for the first time today or you missed last week's introduction to Ecclesiastes that Adam gave, then this morning's reading may leave you feeling less than optimistic about the next 15 to 20 minutes. Don't worry, it's going to be okay. Um, This morning's passage is really an extension of the big idea that Adam shared with us last week, which runs all the way through Ecclesiastes. Can anyone remember what it was? Can you remember what it was? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't prep him for that. That would have been bad if he didn't know. There is nothing new under the sun, but there is more than what is just under the sun. Adam spoke to us last week of the reality of meaninglessness that the writer of Ecclesiastes sees all around him, of the experience of the meaningless of life, but for God, but for Jesus who breaks in and brings us new hope and new life. And I can't encourage you enough to go back and listen to that talk if you haven't heard it yet. And if you have, maybe go back and listen to it again. But the writer this morning expands on this idea, this wrestle that he has of the meaninglessness of life. And in these verses, I find it fascinating that he really goes after the exploration of what gives life meanings. I mean, he is searching it out. What is going to bring me fulfillment? What is going to make me happy? What is going to be enough for me? I don't know if you can remember back to the beginning of lockdown. It feels like about 10 years ago, but um, so much has happened. But in those first few weeks back in March and April in 2020, social media feeds were flooded with various exhortations of how this might be a time that could be used for good. That the silver lining in all of this is that we would have more time for our hobbies, more time with our families, more time to work out what really matters, that somehow this experience might make us all a bit happier. And then we found out it wasn't going to end after three weeks. (laughs) And regardless of what you think of those things now, and I imagine that for most of us, the situation has been fairly more complex and difficult than we first imagined it would be. What's interesting to me about those sentiments is that it just demonstrates how we're constantly searching for meaning and value in life. We're constantly searching for happiness. What is it in this situation that will give me meaning and make me happy? How can I make this fulfilling? It's wired deeply within our humanity that even in the most frightening and bizarre of situations, we're still looking for it. We're still longing for it. In fact, often it's in our suffering that we seek meaning more than ever. It's how we've been made to feel fulfilled, for our lives to have meaning. That longing is not wrong. And the author of Ecclesiastes shows us the main ways that we often go about it this morning. I love how honest he is about it. No pious showboating from him. He just tries it out. I mean, he just really goes for it, doesn't he? I mean, actually, it's quite exhausting just reading about it. He is definitely a type A personality. But I want to read for you 10 short phrases between verse 3 and verse 10 that basically sum up 
the way in which he goes about this pursuit of happiness and meaning. And I want you to think as I read them, the commonality between all of them. I'm going to start at verse 3 and go down to verse 10. Here we go. I tried cheering myself. I built houses for myself. I made, I made, I bought, I also owned. I amassed silver and gold for myself. I acquired, I became, I denied myself nothing. In the variety of ways that the writer goes after happiness and meaning, they all ultimately come back to him. And his assessment of these experiences is that it's chasing after wind. It's a tank that can never be filled. It's a story that never satisfies. From the very beginning of our lives, we are always moving towards independence. And in the most part, that can be a good thing. We want our children to learn to feed and dress and take care of themselves. I love the moment, and it's normally around two and a half, three years old, when children decide that they want to dress themselves. That is funny, watching your friends who are parents have to give way to their children who go, I want to do it for myself. And uh, at a church that I was at previously, there was a little boy who for a long time came to church dressed as Superman. Um, Can I just say, if you have children who want to do that, please let them. It's a great joy for the rest of us you do eventually grow up and you can't do that anymore I'm afraid but (laughs) we need to develop degrees of self-sufficiency it gives us dignity to make our own decisions to achieve things for ourselves to develop a sense of independence whatever our abilities or context there's always a degree to which independence of some kind is important And yet, there is a kind of independence and self-satisfaction that's expressed in our passage this morning that damages us. And it damages other people. And it stops us from living a fully joyful, meaningful life. In fact, it could be argued that it doesn't mean anything. You and I are made in the image of God. Genesis tells us that we were made in the image of God, man and woman, but we were made out of the communion and the love of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And what that means is that we were imagined, we were breathed life into us by a God who exists himself within a loving community, constantly giving way to one another. So for us as human beings to be made to live in that way, to be made in the image of a triune God, a God of community, means that we are made to live in that way, in community with the one who made us and with one another, constantly looking out, constantly looking how we give way to one another. We are not meant to exist independently from him or from one another. The writer Anne Voskamp has a beautiful phrase. She says, you were made out of the happiness of heaven. What that means is that he wanted you to exist. You were created out of his love for his love. That's what you were made for. And yet we spend most of our lives trying to make ourselves happy, pursuing things, dreams, ideas, and people that we think will bring us a sense of meaning and of peace. Everything that the author of Ecclesiastes seeks out is about the inflation of the self. It all points inwards. 
And actually what's interesting is that even the people that he has, what we might call community, the people that he engages with, which in the passage is concubines, which is basically prostitutes and slaves, that is not about communion with other people. That's about the exploitation of people for his own satisfaction. And we can raise our eyebrows at that. But how different is that from the way in which we consume products and materials, the way in which we live that exploits other people? I felt so challenged by this passage in the last few days about my need for instant gratification, whether that's to be able to have something instantly delivered or a cheap product that means I don't have to wait for it. That means somewhere down the line, it comes at the expense of someone else's happiness and someone else's fulfillment. And the reality is that those things that we crave instantly, the things that we want straight away that hurt other people, people that we've never even met, those things won't satisfy us. They won't save us. They won't ever be enough. Our independence from God and from one another will never satisfy us. The American astronomer and atheist Carl Sagan once wrote this. Hold on to your hats. This is quite a hard one. He said this. He said, our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. That is the deep lie and the root of the fear that drives us into the arms of self-indulgence and self-satisfaction. The belief that we're alone, that no one's coming to save us. It's the doubt that is surrounding the writer of Ecclesiastes in these verses. How do I make myself happy? How do I make sure I matter? How do I save myself? It's the question that haunts him that his wisdom tells him there must be an answer to. And it is wisdom to ask this question because it's real. Our aching isn't wrong. Our searching isn't weakness. Our longing isn't false. That's why we long for it. But when we read this passage and its revelation in light of the gospel, what we find is that safety, wholeness, and home is found not at the center of our own story, but at the center of God's story. You see, the God of the universe didn't need you. He existed in perfect community and communion with himself. But he wanted you. He wanted to love you and for you to know his love. He wanted you to be part of his story. And we said no. We said we want to do it our own way. We can do it ourselves. We want our own story, and for that story to be the best and to have meaning, we don't need you. We want to be in charge. We want to be in control. We want our story told our way. We want to do it for ourselves. And he could have turned away. He could have let us go. He could have left us to our attempts to save ourselves and make ourselves happy with all the mess that that leaves in our wake. But instead... The king of the universe looks at his creation who have rejected him to seek out their own pleasure. And he says the greatest thing that could give him pleasure is to give everything up for you. Is to die for you. Is to make a home for you so that you can know him and experience his glory and righteousness and peace forever. All the things 
that will ever mean anything, that will last forever, get to be yours because he made his life all about you. All the things that will ever mean anything, that will last forever, get to be yours because he made his life all about you. The psalmist says that you are the apple of his eye. You're the one he sees. You're the one he thinks about. You're the one that he's with and for. That's what you mean. That's why your life matters. And when we know him, when we surrender our stories to his, what we find is that our stories become full of meaning. They become satisfied. They become eternal. And they become to they become about others because Jesus' stories always point away from ourselves and towards his kingdom. They're not about us. And it turns out that that will actually make us the happiest of all. Francis Chan, in his book, Crazy Love, he says this. He says, God's definition of what matters is pretty straightforward. He measures our lives by how we love one of my heroes in life is a woman that you will never have heard of. About 30 to 40 years ago, uh, she was a young social worker, just qualified um, up in the north, and she noticed that the, the church that she was in, um, there were young men turning up who were homeless, and what she realized was that actually they'd been children that she had cared for in a children's home, and they were hitting 16, getting chucked out, and becoming homeless, and turning up at the church needing help. And um, she went to her pastor, it was a Baptist church, and um, she, she said to him, we, we have to do something about this. And uh, I used to love hearing him tell this story. He said to her, well, I don't, I don't really know, I don't think we can do anything. What can we do? How can we fix this? How can we help? And he said that she stood there, this young 21-year-old, and she looked him straight in the eye, and I like to imagine that she had her hands on her hips at the time. And she looked him in the eye and she said, well, if you won't... I will. He left that conversation convicted. And together they founded a charity working on the outskirts of Leeds that over the last 30 years have cared for, loved and shared Jesus with hundreds of homeless and vulnerable adults. And my hero never got married or had children of her own. She never won awards or owned her own home. She's lived her whole life at the center where they care for some of the most vulnerable people in our society. And I guess in many ways she's lived a life that the world would call a life of obscurity. But to hundreds of broken, rejected and cast aside people, she is known as Auntie Esther. And to me, she is the woman who founded the charity that I interned at before I ever really even knew Jesus. And it changed the trajectory of my life. She is a woman whose eyes are fixed beyond the horizon of everything that she can see under the sun. Her life has been, and continues in her later years and through ill health, to be lived in the knowledge that the only thing that matters is how we love others with the love that has been lavishly poured out on us. Esther's life has an eternal fruit. That's why it matters. That's why she's my hero. Because the story of her life actually doesn't point me to her, it points me to Jesus. I want to live a life like that because it's the only thing that will last forever. Jesus tells us in no uncertain terms in Matthew 16, he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. 
But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, when Jesus breaks in, when he shows up under the sun, he transforms our lives to make them mean something. You have been made to do great things, to create, to heal, to pray, to be fruitful. But our lives are meant to tell a story that is far greater than our own because they aren't meant to be about us anymore. We don't need them to be because we're at the center of his story And we find the very life that we long for, full of meaning, full of fulfillment, full of joy in the life that Jesus offers us that begins now and lasts forever. The writer gets to the end of his striving and toiling for meaning and fulfillment and he finds, but in verse 16 it tells us, that there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So where do we go from here? What does it look like? for us to lose our lives to him, to trust him with ourselves so that we can be freed from the burden of carrying the weight of our own life? How do we loose ourselves from the desire of self? Well, I think it starts with this. The love that we long for, the way, the truth, the life that we want, full of meaning and fulfillment, he's a person. Jesus is a real person who lived and died and rose again, and he offers all his wonder and his glory and his love to you. You will never get over it. You don't ever have to get over it. He can be new to us every single day. That's amazing. It's not old love. It won't wear out. It won't perish. It won't fade. And it begins right now. It's ours to share and plant right here on Kingston Hill and wherever we find ourselves tomorrow. And it will last forever. And I want to challenge you this morning. This was really on my heart last night that some of us, some of you, some of us have been following Jesus for a long time. And I wonder if slightly you might be thinking, oh, I know this, I know Jesus. But I wonder if maybe he's got a bit more wonder for you. He doesn't ever want us to get over him or to get over this, to not be knocked sideways by his love. He doesn't ever want us to think that there's anything else but him that will satisfy because there isn't. He's a person And he's real. And I think the invitation this morning, as we learn from the exploration and the wisdom of the author of Ecclesiastes, is that we don't have to waste our time searching for meaning because Jesus has come and he offers himself, his story and his love to us today that we might live an eternal story that frees us from ourselves and means we finally find our home and our rest in him. Amen.